three, two, one, record. Now work on your timing. Three, two, one, record. <laughs> Was that, I had no tempo there. <laughs> Just saying. I'll get like a glockenspiel, like clock, clock, clock. Uh, what is it? Baby, t- baby talk from, never mind. I have no idea what you're talking about. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Shop Talk Show. This week, we have two sponsors, our longtime sponsor, Environments for Humans, promoting their CSS DevConf, literally CSSDevConf.com, coming up this October 21st through 23rd out in Colorado here in the U.S. It's going to be an excellent concert all about CSS, so check that out. And BlendConf, a little earlier, coming up September 5th through 7th. That's down in Charlotte, North Carolina. Three tracks, 40 different talks. It's going to be a, a big one. It's its first year, so you should go get on the ground floor of this awesome new conference in North Carolina. That's blendconf.com. And you get 20% off that one using coupon code SHOPTALK. We'll tell you a little bit more about it later in the show. But for now, let's kick things off. Welcome to the Shop Talk Show, a podcast all about front-end webbish design and development. I'm Dave Rupert, and with me is Chris Coyer. Hey, everybody, and with us this week is Rick Blaylock. I got that right, right? You got it. Yeah, yeah. me and I... <laughs> How's it going, man? Thanks for joining us. On the show. Yeah, it's going great. I'm glad to be here. Cool. Yeah, I, I know Rick from kind of back in the Wufu days. I forget where we first ever met, but... Uh, uh, one of the coolest things that happened while we were there is we had this little like API contest thing where we're like, we have these cool little APIs at Wufu and we want developers to do cool stuff with them. So we came up with some prizes and stuff and, and sent it forth and Rick joined and ended up winning that competition. So that was like the first time we ever got to like actually meet. Yep. That's was, right. Was this the battle axe one? Oh yeah. You won the battle axe? Yeah, I got the battle axe. Oh I got it right next goodness. to me actually. Yeah. And didn't it, it got to be in like a movie for one of your like nieces? Yeah, or yeah. Something? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. My um, my brother and sister in law they do um, you know, kind of indie films, and uh, they needed an axe, so they got to use that. So. Awesome, man. <laughs> At the risk of sounding punny, I think that uh, I think that uh, battle axe contest was pretty legendary. You know, <laughs> the stuff of legends. <laughs> Yeah, Rick's a Florida cool. dude. Yeah, that's right, South Florida baby. Mm-hmm. Guitar player, pilot. This is just an all-around interesting dude. Yeah, uh, troublemaker. South Florida is that the good part of Florida? <laughs> it, it depends. I yeah, it depends. <laughs> where do all the Florida man tweets come from? That's where I'm wondering. Central, 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 Orlando. <laughs> All right. Well, cool, man. Um, so I, I kind of wa- I'm interested in that story because I, I feel like I know how it went down because it because you you ended up using a framework to build the app that you won that Wufu contest with, which was Titanium at the time, which is still around, which mm-hmm. is which was is you know 
I don't know, what do you say, backed or created by or the child of a company called Accelerator. And then after that, you went straight up to go work for them. So they either saw it or you showed it to them or something. How did that go down? Yeah, so um, entered in that competition, used Titanium to uh, to build the app for Wufu, um, the competition. And um, after that, and yeah, Accelerator is the company that, that built the titanium framework and um uh yeah after a few months uh, i started talking to some guys over there and i uh, you know I, I ran my own business i was happy running my own business and i was like i don't want to go work for a company i don't know about that and um it just kind of worked out and i'm here two and a half yeah. years later i'm An still- offer you couldn't refuse yeah right like- well, and that was years ago, two and a half years ago, and you're still yeah. working for them. Yeah. So AppCelerator still exists, Titanium still exists. What's the deal? Is it much different than it was back in those days? Uh, it's much stabler than it was back in those days. <laughs> that was that was before the 1.0 era, I think. So, um, sure. yeah. <laughs> well, what is it, though? I mean, I'm sure there's some people like, oh, Titanium, never heard of it. Yeah, so Titanium is a mobile framework that uh, lets you write your apps in JavaScript, and it's not to be confused with something like phone gap where, um, you know, it's a web view, um, inside of a, you know, a native app. It's, uh, it's actually JavaScript that's, um, distributed with the IPA file or the APK on Android. So it's, it's distributed with your app. And, um, those, the, the JavaScript that you write actually calls down into the native layer to say, Hey, I want like a native tab group or a native navigation group or whatever. So it's, it's, how it works. Yeah, the end result is literally a native app, not a native app that has a web view in it, right? Or exactly, right. And if you want to use a web view, you can. You can say, hey, get me a web view, and you can spin that up too. But um, yeah, it's not just a web view. Sure. And so, like, let's say you're working with it locally, like like you're just devving something. What is it like then? Do you have to use the iPhone simulator, or do you? Yes. can you just... Yeah, you do. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So you need to have Xcode installed for iOS, and you need to have the Android SDK installed uh, for Android. And then it builds super. Is it like is the build process just like wicked fast? I mean, what if you're like, oh, I don't. I decided not to have a tab grouper. I'm going to add a fourth item to this tab bar on the top. And can you just hit like save, and it'll just like recompile your entire app super fast and show it to you? And the- yeah, yeah, it actually is pretty fast. Um, so yeah, if you decide, yeah, I don't want to. I want to move this label over here or whatever. Let me go see what that looks like. Then, um, yeah, you just hit run and it'll compile it. It takes on my MacBook retina. It takes, um, I don't know, 10 seconds, five seconds, 10 seconds, something like that. Okay. So it's fast, but it's like, it's workably fast, but it's maybe not as quite as the same as like literally working on the web where you open the web. Right. Just nudge stuff around. What about on my Acer netbook from, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> 2006 Any, anything it, no it'll love prob- it'll probably explode <laughs> yeah that's yeah, always definitely. the best <laughs> so i mean the, the idea yeah go ahead the guys in engineering they're working on this thing called live view where you can actually make changes to the code and then actually see it change right there in the simulator uh so they are working on that um but I, that's coming out here pretty soon so cool oh, that's so it's like it's not only possible but it's gonna happen yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. A proper dev environment is a is a pretty good thing if you wanna if you kind of want to win this game. So uh, you know, kind of betting on the fact that 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 native is better in a way, right? It will always be faster. It will, you know, right. et cetera, et cetera. Right? Do you, do you 
on on board with that idea. So I, yeah, I'm on board with the idea that if you want performance, then you need to go native. Um, I'm definitely on board with that. And then also, there's just cases like with enterprises and with um, you know applications where you need just a lot of local storage and you know complex type local storage and stuff like that. Um, it's just better to go native. Mm-hmm. And why then? Why why mess around with JavaScript at all? Just because it's a familiar language, or yeah, it's it's very familiar. Um, you can go to uh, a lot of companies, pretty much any company, and you're gonna, always going to have JavaScript people in house. Um, it's it's a good language to start, you know, with the cross platform type idea because you're unifying your code base for both, you know, for uh, Android, iOS. Uh, soon to be Windows 8, you know that kind of stuff. So right, you need an abstracted language of some kind because yeah. the, that's the deal with titanium is you don't only just get an iOS app, you get an Android app too. Right, exactly, and you can call the specific Android APIs if you want to as well if you need to. So right, and the benefit of that is in your development teams don't have you don't have to have like these separate development teams and managing that you know can be kind of a headache. So yeah. Why doesn't everybody in the world do it this way, <laughs> or do they? It just seems like it seems like a bummer when somebody's like, "Oh, we haven't gotten around to doing our our Android app yet." You know, you're like, "Well, why didn't you just do it, use Titanium, and then you would have one simultaneously?" Or is it just some yeah. apps are just too complicated for that? Or? Yeah, it's it's starting to get that way. Um, it's just one of those you know education things and then pain point things because mobile's still kind of new, you know, yeah. and so mm-hmm. people the last several years have been, I just want an app. I need to build my app. And then it's like, Oh, I need to build 10 apps. And then it's, well, how do I maintain these 10 apps? Shoot. I've got all these developers I've had, had to hire. And you know, so they start thinking through it kind of, you know, not, not proactively. And, um, you know, they're just now starting to come, especially in the big companies are coming to the realization. Oh my goodness. I, how am I supposed to manage all this? So, <laughs> so what, so, okay. We got the background. That's titanium. Titanium is free, uh, but and then and then there's a you know the, the backing company behind it, Accelerator that you work for. What's the how does that work? Is it is it like the WordPress model? And they're like, hey, WordPress is free, but or Joomla. <laughs> I just mentioned that because Rick's an old Joomla guy, which I talk about <laughs> later. The company behind it like uh, uh, makes money through other ways. You know, they have you know hosting or they and they sell little fancy features. Is that what Accelerator does too? Or do, what like what's your role there? Do, do you kind of work with companies to use Titanium to build apps for them. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I work in the services or professional services group as a as an architect. So yeah, well, I'll I'll meet with our customers who are you know they're big customers, enterprise customers, and we'll sit down and come up with you know solutions, architecting out um, you know the, the best way for them to do things um, according to uh, you know their their plan for mobile and the future and all all sorts of stuff like that. They want to talk to you because you made the framework, and that's just. They just, yeah, there's some yeah trust so there. right, yeah. So there's some trust there with that, exactly. Uh huh. And there's some advisory stuff, uh, advisory type work that we do with them, and you know, code reviews and stuff like that. That's kind of what our department does um, a lot of. So, yeah. But um, as far as Accelerator goes, I mean, we do have product offerings for like enterprises and stuff, where like, we have this new platform where you can get all of your analytics and all your crash reports and um, User acceptance testing, quality assurance testing, all this stuff—you know—all in uh, all in this one dashboard. Um, so there's things like that that we offer for enterprises. Okay. 
right on. So it's a you know things are going well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. So I wanted everybody to know Rick and what he does and his expertise and stuff, which I'm sure there's much more to it than that. But now we can kind of jump into some of the some of the hot drama of the week, or possibly the. Oh my gosh! This week, man, it's been a uh, there's. Everything from like long shadows to JavaScript is terrible. So, <laughs> uh, this one, Chris, you pulled you pulled out one here that it's pretty good. It's so uh, is it the top one on the list? Yeah, though? yeah. So the oh, first, I thought this is appropriate for having Rick on too. So I I saw this linked up on Daring Fire, Fireball, and it's this long, super long article about why mobile apps are slow by Drew Crawford and it was just laid out this whole thing about the history of JavaScript and like not a lot has happened as far as actually making the language faster. It's all about the the speed improvements of, of JavaScript have largely been hardware based and uh, honestly, I didn't read the whole thing, which has gotten me into trouble in you the last what? few weeks here. Yeah, <laughs> which we'll, we'll circle back, but he gives bullet points at the end. So everyone skip to the end. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And so he's just kind of like saying like like what you said like it's JavaScript is too slow for mobile web apps. It's about the equivalent of IE8. Uh, it's slower than compiled C code by about a factor of fifty, which is like of course. Right. <laughs> and anyway, that's uh, when yeah, I read the article. Point, like it, it, even if it's slower by fifty, like is it fast enough where that? type of thing doesn't and i think his deal is it's not fast enough because like desktop performance is like extremely outweighs your like mobile performance so it's like you probably i don't know you're used to doing things on desktop for these apps and doing some heavy stuff and then but it doesn't work on the phone because phones will never work so did this rise to the level of drama, or is this mostly agreed upon by people? Are you, are would you disagree with his assertions that you know the web is web apps are doomed? Me or Rick? Uh, both of you. I mean, <laughs> this I guess is, I was just talking, but yeah, you start. But yeah, I mean, you had the kind of the <laughs> the Dave tone of voice that uh, is uh, I, that I think this is total garbage. Um, <laughs> <laughs> It's Chris, after like 78 episodes, you picked up on my, I know, <laughs> my really subtle sarcasm. Uh, I thought, I thought it was just very obvious. Like that's, that's what I was, it was like JavaScript is slow compared to native in like, that's what it just, and that's what it reinforced, you know? And, and I read the whole thing. Like, I feel like he does make like very good app, like observations, you know, but he, he, there's this, this stuff. I don't know if you guys know about it, but like awesome JS, ASM.js or, or, uh, pepper or stuff like that. That's coming to Chrome and stuff like that. Th these are like C level APIs for your JavaScript. So like if you write a for loop, that's actually, or maybe you write, uh, this is a terrible example, right? But instead of writing a for loop, you write a, uh, a little C program that looks like JavaScript. And that's, this is a terrible example. Well, just meaning it's going to run way, way faster. It's going to just freaking, yeah, it's going to hit the metal real fast. So like that stuff is coming to JavaScript, but he just kind of glances over and he's like, well, it's still not going to be fast enough. And it's like, well, show, show some stats. I mean, that's how I felt in my opinion, but yeah. Anyway, did you read it? Rick, did you? yeah, I did. I read it uh, last week, actually. So it, it's it's actually a pretty good article. Um, 
they, you know, they, there's obviously a, a bit of a bigoted slant, you know, against JavaScript. Um, especially when you go to the bullet points, it's like it's comparable to IE8. I, I don't know what that's supposed to mean. I don't know how you quantify JavaScript's like IE8. I don't, <laughs> you know. Yeah, um, yeah. But, I mean, he makes some good examples of, uh, makes some good points about, you know, it's slower than native code by about a you know magnitude of five. And that might be good enough, but then his point is, well, what if, you know, it's, it's 10 milliseconds, um, you know, on C, well, then, you know, it's, it's 50 milliseconds or 100 milliseconds, you know, is, is that good enough? You know, so there, there's some of that stuff you, you do have to think about in a user experience perspective. But I don't know if I agree with the only advancements with making JavaScript faster as hardware. Um, because you can see that with Node, you can see that with Titanium, actually, and how we've, um, you know, you can call a native API from JavaScript and do things with it. Uh, Windows uh, does that as well. Windows 8 has some things where you can call down into um, a native layer from JavaScript to do an expensive operation. So, you know, I don't know if I, I agree with that fully, but that's that's taken into account, you know, some of these frameworks um, that are that are thinking about these problems. Yeah, I, I yeah, I think. Is there any mobile apps that you use through the web on your phone right now, all the time? Oh, I left my phone in another room. Oh wait, right. I used to use Gmail and through the web before the Gmail app came out because using I just didn't like the native app of mail. Not that I didn't like it, but you can't like search good, you know, like but right. if you just went to, if you went to Gmail on your phone, you could search and it was totally fast and it was, you know, it was, it wasn't as fast as I would have liked it maybe, but I still used it. Right. Right. Yeah. I, you know, I, I can't think of anything. I don't even have web bookmarks on my phone. So I, no, <laughs> this is kind of telling, isn't it? I don't pop open Safari or Chrome or whatever. I have an iPhone, and and I don't. I I often don't open those up and and, and use web apps a whole heck of a lot. Uh, it depends on what you call a web app. You know, I like search. I like use Google Image Search sometimes, and you know, like like wh- where's the line between app and not app these days? It's hard to say. Well, and I I so I use like uh, Foursquare or not Foursquare Forecast IO, and we have a question about that later, but. Uh, and then I also use um, which one? I lost it. Um, oh, like Campfire. I mean, there's a lot of web. There's a lot of apps that actually just use web views, right? So, like, you got to take that into consideration too. If it's oh right, you don't necessarily have to use it through the browser, but yeah, is it actually just rendering a web page inside of it? Like, like I was getting all these 500 errors. I'm not sure if my router is tanking or not but i was getting a bunch of 500 errors like the app store like apple's app store is totally web based and i was mm-hmm. getting like 500 errors and stuff and like it's just interesting i don't know i, yep. I don't I, I just feel like this like all or nothing strategy is i don't know uh, obviously like you're not gonna want to whatever do a whole bunch of stuff just in javascript because you'll just kind of shred through battery so you what if this but, guy is right titanium is going to be even more important mm-hmm. so you know there's a really good um talk with um dan elmer um that he came to our conference last year and um i don't have a i'll try to find a link to it and post it um but he he basically that that was his whole keynote was which is which should it be and at the end he basically said it should be both and he was talking about how walmart 
they originally started with just an HTML5, you know, kind of a, a, a web view uh, wrapped s- scenario, and it just didn't cut the mustard, you know, for the uh, um, for the user experience. But what was nice about it was they could do split A/B testing. You know, obviously Walmart is really important for them to make sales on the phone, so they could test, you know, in different regions and which order form works better and which flow works better and stuff. Whereas in native, it's really hard to iterate through that. And so what they did is they kind of have like this, they use the native components and stuff like that for, uh, for the user, the important user experience parts. And uh, they use for the web forms and the order forms and stuff like that. They use HTML mm-hmm. because, because they can, uh, you know, do the, the AB testing and all that and iterate through it really fast. So, it's a good a good article. I'm going to try to find it right now. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly what I want to hear. <laughs> but I don't know. So, what is your guys' final opinion? Is the mobile web doomed because of this article? No, no, no. That, that's silly. <laughs> yeah. All right, it's a doom period. Um, yeah, I don't want to talk about the next one. It bums me out. But the the the. T- <laughs> <laughs> The, do you see Tweetbot new, like Helvetica new? Is that real or fake? Oh, because we talked thing? about this at. Oh, it's hilarious. Uh, I don't know. Just the icon is hilarious because it looks like a joke. Uh, but we talked about this at our live thing when we were in a at front end DevCon. Remember, we were like, "Well, we were because we were talking about the inevitable, the iOS yeah, 7 does thing, flattening your brand to ruin it." And I was like, okay. "The hardest one, the hardest icon to convert ever is going to be the Tweetbot one because it's so crazy 3D." You know, do you have Tweetbot on your phone? The icon is awesome, but mm-hmm. yeah, I have Tweetbot. Like I love Tweetbot. Not... I use it for everything. Me too. I really like it in the iPad. I just, I don't, for whatever reason, just last night for the first time, I started using it on there, and I'm like, holy cow, this is it's like the best version of it. Anyway, the icon is not going to work in <laughs> <laughs> it's in iOS seven. A glowing bird with a plunger. <laughs> yeah, but the, you should see the Tweetbot. Tweetbot new icon is like, oh my god! Yeah. I hope it doesn't look like that, but that would fit better. I'm really curious. I, why not? I they should just do it. I think, I think they should. I think it's hilarious. Uh, Fake is the word on the street. Uh, um, so yeah, yeah, you can. Yeah, I wanted to uh, just real quick before we get into a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, wanted to clear up some drama that we ourselves at the Shop Talk Show got into. Uh, last episode, we talked uh, about the EE hot drama where uh, the uh, Ellis Lab blog kind of scudded one of their main developers. <laughs> scudded, that's a word I use, but they kind of just. Uh, ran him under the bus and uh his name is brandon kelly and uh some people got very very upset with us on twitter it's calling us uh what or just saying that we are posting crap <laughs> and uh i totally agree this is just pure drivel so uh one to clear it up brandon kelly did not rage quit on stage as we had said he uh wasn't on stage but that would that was cleared up by like a a post after the fact by Ellis Lab. They edited their post that we had uh, that we were citing. And um, was that it, Chris? Was that... Uh, did I... Yeah, yeah, basically. Like, we just... We had the one post to work from and we talked about that and it turns out we were wrong, which makes us crappy journalists. But I would like to... I would like to not... Could we just not be journalists? Is yeah, there a could, stamp we could put <laughs> could on something? Pundits? 
<laughs> Great job. Does that? There we go. And anyway, I was well, like well, annoyed. Well, do it live. It's <laughs> like annoyed at first, you know, because they're really mad at us for this. I'm like, dude, you listen to this show. We're just a bunch of jerks talking, you know, like I hate to like not own the statement like we're wrong and we're admitting to it right now. So this is us clearing it up. But, you know, expect more wrongness in the future. <laughs> yeah, we will. We will disappoint you. <laughs> So, uh, one other little bit of hot drama, uh, kind of piggybacking off of that is Ellis Lab is seeking a new owner for Codeigniter, the framework that they, uh, build. So, yeah, when there's smoke, there's fire. So get out <laughs> while you can. <laughs> I just want to keep on ruining our reputation over there. <laughs> Doing a good job, huh, Chris? Yeah, yeah. Right. let's get into the Q and A. We All got. Right. Oh, I'm. Let me. You you set it up. I'm gonna go find this MP3. Q and A, meat and potatoes of shop talk. Uh, we got a audio question, our favorite kind of question from Christopher Grabinski. Here we go. Hi Chris. Hi Dave. I've read an article on the Forecast IO blog some time ago where they've discussed how they've made Forecast, which is a weather app for the iPhone, made only with web technologies. So they've shared some CSS tidbits and stuff they used to create a smooth experience with, like native scrolling and hardware-accelerated transforms, for example. But I can imagine there are tons of cool things that I've missed out on. I find it very hard to track down information on that topic and was wondering if you guys know any good resources that feature some advanced knowledge about web apps on mobile devices. Kudos for this great show. Keep up the good work and auf Wiederhören. Oh, there we go. Thanks, Chris, for writing in. So do you guys know of any uh, advanced knowledge about web apps? What's the, what's the background of this forecast.io thing? Is it you literally you go to it on the web on your phone, and then it's like, you should install this as a native app. Does, isn't there some kind of like pop-up yeah. thing? Yeah, it happens? does a pop-up thing. And then, what, and then it gives you like a forecast <laughs> that sounds really dumb, but it's so you like, can do this on any website though. Right. And like, cause you can even go to like CSS tricks if you wanted to and be like, save this as an icon on my homepage and it will could. do that. But then it just opens up, you know, it opens up a web view of CSS tricks on there. And I have done nothing special to make it a web app at all, but they have. Yeah. And presumably they use like, you know, app cache, right? And like, yeah, like they'll they'll store your location. They kind of store maybe some CSS or something like that. They, they also have some like fancier interactions. Like they have a panel that kind of slides up. They have a map, that map that you see there. I think this is kind of the big deal. I think that's like predictive weather modeling in JavaScript, which is kind of a super thing, Mm. (laughs) you know, stuff I don't know how to do, but It'll give you like a a kind of uh, a timeline of your day based on the your region and stuff like that. It's pretty advanced, I guess, is what I'm getting at. So, so why isn't this stuff is possible now? Mm-hmm. And 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 Christopher's saying there's a bit of lack of information out there on how to do this type of thing. Yeah, yeah, like how to make really good mobile web apps. Mm-hmm. Do you have any experience? I, Rick, obviously you use titanium. <laughs> you're, right. you're a fan, but just have you ever made like just a web app, not non? Yeah, I've I've played with it. I'm actually just in my spare time making a kind of a, a, a an HTML game for mobile, um, just cool. to play around with some of this stuff. And I'm, I'm intentionally not using Canvas 
just to just so I could test out some things with CSS um, transformations and stuff. And um, I mean, I don't, I'm not an expert at it uh, by any means, but I <laughs> it's really easy to make something performant in Safari. I will say that it's really hard to make anything performant in Android. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, like because it's choppy and stuff, right? It's yes. horrible. Yeah, even with you know, you'll read all these blog posts. Oh, all you got to do is you know enable the hardware acceleration by this, that, and the other, and, you know, the, the, whatever device you're using, it probably won't work. You know, it might be one of the Samsungs that'll work, but, you know, like my HTC One, which is an awesome phone, mm-hmm. um, that it just, it's like 10 frames a second. It's horrible. Really? Yikes. Depending Yikes. on what it is, or, I mean, what if you, I mean... Yeah, so I've got, like, this little animation, this puff animation. Like, you know, it's like, it goes from... Zero to one hundred percent opacity and the scale. I'm using. And you a, use transform scale. Yeah. So opacity yeah. and transform scale totally choppy. Yeah, mm. totally choppy. But on on iOS, um, on Safari, it's awesome. And even in the web view, um, if you use the native web view, it, it's it's great. It's like almost sixty frames a second. But on Android, either in the browser or in uh, in the Android web view, it's really bad. It's actually worse than the Android web view. But whatever. Wow, and I've I've heard that stuff too. Like there there are some like gotchas, like uh, like Safari, mobile Safari. If you do the add to home screen, you're actually using a different JavaScript rendering engine than the mobile Safari app. Yeah, you're not you getting the Nitro engine that's in there. Right? Yeah, you get like the one version back or something. Right. Really? So it's still, it's still fast though. It's just not. It's not like nitro but it's still fast but on android it's different it's just it's you'll get hugely different results depending on the device you're using yeah it, it's isn't it i think to answer maybe pull it back to chris's question i there i think the one of the problems and why there's not a lot of talk about this is a no one's like making not a lot of people are making like add to home screen apps uh and b it's there's all these like weird kind of differences, you know, throughout everything. It's just, it, there's just so many kind of inconsistencies. Would you yeah. agree? Or- yeah, totally agree. <laughs> like, um, one of it was, I ran into something the other day where, uh, I'm trying to remember what it is. Actually, let me go pull up my blog cause I posted it on there. Um, it was the, hold on two seconds. Yeah. The query select all, um, you couldn't do document query select all, select or all in an Android web view on HTC One, but you could in the Android browser that came with it. And of course, it works on Safari and then iOS wow. web view. Internal, so it's not even a per device thing. It's depends like per app per device. Right. Right. Oh my God. This this is the stuff where you start like losing hair, <laughs> thinking about. Uh, I didn't even know that was a thing. So I'm. Thank you for that sobering realization. <laughs> yeah. There's and and then you know with uh when you do like a add to home screen in mobile safari, right? It's very predictable about what it'll do. It's very like it's one of two dimensions. It will have like a little 20 pixel uh whatever menu bar that you can kind of change the color of you um so there are things you can do. I built like a mobile web app, like kind of a prototype for a company once. And man, it was just crazy. It just like, it was really hard to do. And if you're trying to emulate like pure native, just with JavaScript, 
like that's really difficult. You need to kind of not do that. Um, that would be my only thing. Kind of do something different, kind of get a different feeling there. But that said, if somebody has really good examples of mobile web apps, I'd love to see them. So, yeah, indeed, and write about them too. Uh, okay, let me do a sponsor right quick because we're about halfway through the show now. If we can, uh, I want to do Blend Comp. So Berman Painter, who we got to get on the show, he's like he's a smart guy in lots of different ways. I was just at UX Mad in Madison, and he gave a, a cool talk about process and prototyping and stuff. But he's running a conference where he's from Charlotte, North Carolina blendconf.com it's it's three tracks 40 talks over the course of three days so september 5th 6th and 7th uh it's the first year he's doing it it looks you know it it looks like it's just kind of going to be awesome so if that appeals to you you're around the area or feel like you know getting your work to sponsor one uh i would recommend this i think it looks like a like a pretty good idea especially because of the variety so you know there's something cool about the one track things or the shared experience and stuff but if you're like you know like want to send your whole team there you could get a lot more coverage from from one where you can like pick and choose and tailor it the chances of you like having a good conference because you can see stuff that appeals to you when you have more choice is kind of a good plan so Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, pretty cool. Pretty cool. Lots of good speakers here. I would go see probably every single one of these talks and enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what it, the pure amount of talks, good talks that are going to be there is pretty exciting. So there's also something sweet about going to the first edition of a conference. I, I'm kind of yep. jealous that there people are, I can't go cause I'm going to be occupied with the child, but uh, that is very exciting for yeah. the people that get to go. Blendconf.com, 20% off discount code shop talk. 20% off. Got you to use it. Um, all right. Shop. Yep. yep. Okay. Yeah. John Polacek or pull, pull, pull like Polly want a cracker. All right. Oh. Um, we added this. The, here's the point. We added this <laughs> new field to the form where you send in a question that it's so where you can describe how your last name is. Um, pronounced, which has been very useful so far. Although people sometimes it's it's pretty interesting how it's, people it's, describe their own name. Smith, like Polichek, writes in says, "What do you guys think of responsive image delivery services that are coming online? Have you tried any? Do they reduce the ugh? Uh, a couple of examples: responsive.io, resource it, or resrc.it, uh, io. Uh, yeah, Sencha IO has been around a long time, and it was weird. It was like free at first, and now they have paid plans, or you can dev it and try it, or whatever. So that's been around, and that's kind of the default one that people bring up when they talk about, you know, outsourcing responsive images to a third-party service. This 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 one just launched that resrc.it resource. It is uh, just kind of launched, and they kind of. I don't know, let me know about it. I was like, oh, it looks pretty cool. I like the idea of, you know, solving a dev problem and charging money for it. I like the idea of that as a business. Although I haven't actually tried one of these things. <laughs> you, you know, you get a free CDN from it too, presumably, right? Because you're just linking right to them and, and, and surely they have all these images, you know, that they ultimately get served from them then, which is probably fast, I hope. Mm-hmm. What do you, like, does, does, I don't know. So you have a, you have a huge image, you don't want to screw around yourself with 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 creating all the smaller versions of it and stuff. So you just instead of linking to it on your own server, you just kind of redirect it to 
their URL with the URL path to your image in that URL. I know that was confusing-ish, but uh, and then when it gets when their servers get that request, it just knows what to do. It will uh, it will like know you know through the presumably with the with the headers and their request, it will know what kind of device it is. They probably do some device detection stuff and they know what size screen it ultimately is. They'll, they'll produce the smaller version if they need to, and they only have to do that once and then they cache it, uh, and then serve an appropriately sized image from that thing. There's lots of different patterns you can do um, with it. None of the patterns look particularly new. You know, you can use the, the picture element style or, or whatever you want to do. Uh, but the, but the hosting and creating of the smaller images is all through their service. What do you think about that? You got any thoughts, Rick? Uh, it sounds really cool because <laughs> uh, as far as – so you're saying it, it, it'll resize it for you. So you just say, hey, I need to get this image. I need to be – and it needs to be this size. And so the server resizes it all for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean especially for mobile apps, that's really awesome because it's one of the biggest performance problems I've seen with, with um, apps is that – and this is mobile or you know, mobile web or native is that – People try to pull down these images, and then they have to scale them down and all that, and that takes up a lot of power, you know. Um, yeah, so you just kind of can forget about it in a way. Yeah, yeah, totally. It, that's that's awesome. That's the way it should be done. <laughs> so there's some, you know, this like this is far from solved. It's 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 useful that they have these services, and I like them. I would consider using one actually. But for example, if you go to resource it and go to demos, and then pick their preferred approach. And then click example code. You can see what what the way that what they think is the best way to handle this. And it's an image tag, and there's a data source attribute. So not a real source attribute, but a fake data API one that links to their thing. And then and then you put your your, your path to that image in there. Uh, and that's great. So it beats the preloader because there's no source for it to grab. So it just doesn't do anything. It just thinks it's a string sitting in there. Uh, and then the script will run, and the script will figure out what size image it needs to be, and uh, it will replace. It will then put a source in that image, and the image will load. I'm sure it works great. Mm-hmm. However, I'm sure it doesn't work great over RSS. Mm, you sure. know, it will just be nothing. It's not a semantic source, you know. So, mm-hmm. like, that's fine. That's a good way. To, if you if you don't care if RSS is irrelevant to your app for some reason, fine. But you know, I like. I just don't think this is like the solution. You know, to, to just kind of reinvent the image tag with no source in it. Uh, there's other ways to do it. That's not the only way. But you know, I just think that's funny. Like, the, like the the ways that we're approaching responsive images are still, you know, hackneyed at best. Right. Yeah. I. You know, I wish I had a very heavy image content driven site so I could test one of these on. Um, because I I'm I'm curious about the quality. I I've never used one. Do it on your blog. I guess I could, but I only have like three images on my blog. Do it on my blog. I'll do it on your blog. <laughs> it. Uh, no, I just I'm just curious because like does like I've I've used these like or I've been on websites like I've, the one I can think of is Basecamp for mobile. Basecamp mobile. And they tried to make all these inferences about like what size image they resized all images to 320 pixels wide or whatever for my phone. And like they probably like just checked off the engineering box and were like, yeah, it's done. But it's like when you're like sharing like full website mockups, like a 320 pixel wide website mockup is doesn't quite 
get the fidelity you need, right. you know? So like it sucks and like, that's not ex- exactly what you want at all. And you know, if you can click through, that's awesome. Or what would be more ideal is if I could zoom in or something to my heart's content, but then a lot of apps will override zoom in and stuff like that. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to get on board with these, but I'm more and more interested as things go on. But just cause the, the picture element does have overhead. It shouldn't be said that it does not have any overhead, but like you can have a, a, your, you can have your CMS output that in fact, some guy just released a picture element for Jekyll, the static site generator thing. So like your CMS can generate picture elements, but there is some overhead in terms of like how you're going to do that. But for an old site with a bunch of images, like Chris's blog or something like that, this would be really cool to try. Hey Chris, yeah. he just called your, your blog old. How do you feel yeah. about that? Oh, fuddy duddy. <laughs> 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 uh, oh, do it live. Yeah, you know, but still, I would, depending on the technique I pick here, I'd still have to go back and update image tags, which is not going to happen. So I kind of like the idea of like the, like what are, where I would probably go with this is that responsive dash images project. The adaptive, Cox images? One. adaptive images, sorry, yeah, where it intercepts image requests at the like HTXS level and like redirects them to. Mm. A script which resizes them and stuff, an internal kind of solution. I kind of like that. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. We talked about it. Hopefully that helped you. No, that's interesting. Yeah, that's, it, it does sound interesting. I, I guess the, you know, from my perspective, the downside would be that's cool for like your CMS or your website, but then what if you need to build a mobile app too and that kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, do you, you have two solutions, you know, one for your mobile and then one for your web at that point or what? Yeah. There's also like an issue of control, right? Like you don't control those servers. So if they go down or if they jack up their pricing, you're, you're kind of hosed, you know, at some right. point that's, that's where it gets like another, like, uh, I don't know how I feel about that. So, right. Anyhow, let's give some advice here. Chris Trauber, Trauber. says, I'm just starting to learn web design and development. I'm developing a site for someone's business for experience. I'm finding concepts like CSS layout very challenging. The techniques of responsive design seem a bit advanced for me, but with Google getting ready to punish sites that aren't mobile friendly, do I need to start learning mobile first responsive design even as a beginner? Or should I develop a non-RWD site and then go back later and make it responsive? Ooh, good question. So why is it so challenging? Is RWD inherently more difficult? I would. I can understand somebody that has a set of skills already in which RWD was not a part, and now they're like, oh, this is hard to switch. But if you don't know anything already anyway, is it, is it inherently more difficult? And that if you could just use like fixed widths for everything, that would be easier. Oh, I don't know if that's true. I, I, you have to think about it more. <laughs> you have to use more critical thinking. Uh, but uh, I don't. I don't think it is personally. But I've been doing a lot of websites, so it doesn't like a lot of responsive sites. So it's like once you've hit that learning curve, you kind of know what works and doesn't work, and you know, it's less of a, of a pain point 
but that's me. So I, what should we tell Chris if you had to pick an answer right now? What should should you should you just you know since you're a beginner? Uh, I don't know, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Man, you guys are more the experts than I am. I, I I would say that just off the top of my head, I mean, when you have to think about all the different responsive things, I, I don't know if it technically it makes it harder, but user experience wise, you've got to think about more things. Whereas, like, if you did it all in fixed width, and hey, it, you know, it you could it'll still work on your phone. <laughs> you That's know? true. You just the punishment is the is the the zooming and that right. Space. Right. Yeah, like that's the Google's going to start docking you for that. I can't so. go ahead and, and endorse you. Just be like, oh, you're just starting out, so just make everything fixed width. That just doesn't sound right to me. So I'm just going to say, okay, even if it is a little inherently harder, you should just probably do it. Yeah, it's not that much harder, you know. Figure it out at the least. I think, like, because that's where websites are headed, right? Because the number of desktop PCs that have been sold is plummeting. Like it's approaching zero. So like think about that the next time you design a site or develop a site, because uh, you know, phones are rapidly overtaking desktop usage. And I think this year or next year, they will be the primary browsing device. And it's already that way. Like I know some websites are getting 60% mobile traffic on weekends or 60 to 80. I mean, huge numbers on the weekends. So think about that. I mean, there are like use cases like code pen. You're probably not going to write a pen on your phone for a really long time, but there's the, the, yeah, I, I would switch to mobile first as soon as possible in your brain. That's cool. You should go. Everybody should go this October 21st and 23rd to the Stanley Hotel in the Rocky Mountains. Looks like a big old southern mansion. I know it's not in the south, but that's what it looks like when you go to cssdevconf.com. It's an Environments for Humans event, a real live in-person event. So you need to travel to this thing to watch all of the top people in CSS talk about it, all of which who've been on the show, I think, except for Eric Meyer, who we need to get on the show. Uh, pretty sweet. Pretty, pretty sweet. It's, it's in Colorado. Like I said, it's coming up October 21st through 23rd. Uh, there's a Smacks workshop you should go to. Yes. Anyway, this is the second CSS DevConf that there has been. And the first one was so awesome because it's such a focused thing. You know, it's just CSS, you know, uh, which, which is nice. So you know what to expect when you go there. You know, it's, it's going to be sweet. Go to it. It's going to be good. It was one of my favorite conferences last year. I, I, and the Smacks workshop? Get out of here. That's awesome. Yeah. I think it's it's got a it's got a, a, a decent price point too. It's four ninety five. Well, you know? there you go. Which is it's you know it's more than some some localish stuff, and it's less than that some big ones. But it's not it's not going to be any less. In fact, I'm sure if you're a CSS nerd, it's a, a top tier stuff. And you should, thanks Environments for Humans for sponsoring. What's you should that? watch The Shining before you go because it's <laughs> in that hotel. <laughs> Oh, wow. Is, is it, it so really the same one? Yes. <laughs> the inside one, the important one. Yeah. Because yeah. the, the outside shot one was that one in uh, in like Mount Hood in Portland. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Timberline or whatever it is. This is the inside, inside. really confiscated, very confusing inside typewriter 
all that. Okay. Next this will be interesting wow. for Rick. So uh, Al Lemux, Lemu, writes in, have you ever heard of Haxe or Hacks? H-A-X-E, Hacks.org? Yeah. It, mm-hmm. It's an open source platform that can compile to many different things, including the mobile platform. What's up with it? Is it like, is it a titanium competitor? No, 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 no. So it's been around for a while. It's pretty cool. It's, it's kind of like a, it's, it's similar to JavaScript, but it has classes and, and, you know, kind of literally classical. a different language. Yeah, it is. It's a different language. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. Well, then and, how does it run? Does, does it need its own little local compiler thing or does it so I don't, JavaScript? I'm not a hundred percent positive other than from what I've read about it, it just compiles to different languages. Oh so, yeah. So I, I think it's like a, like it, it translates it into a different language, but I don't know that for a fact. Uh, looks, that's what it says on the website here. But okay. what does that? Some local app? Yeah, it has some kind of compiler, probably some yeah. command line hmm. thing you run or something. Yeah. So it's like Esperanza for programming. <laughs> Why don't you ever hear about it? You know, like, like what, what, what does it take for things like this to like, to like be a revolution? That's what's interesting to me, you know, like like maybe this thing will just die or maybe this will be the next thing that everybody's learning. It's, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's been around for a while. It's not really anything super new, but, um, you know, it's got a kind of a close knit community. But I don't I don't know. That's a good question. It's not it hasn't clicked, I guess, a whole lot, maybe just because of the language. It's kind of like a, what was that Google language that they invented? That's like JavaScript. Yeah, Dart. Start, yeah. I mean, I, and they have Go too, which is probably maybe sounds more like this than yeah. it's an actual different language. So you need, you know, you need you need the hearts and minds of the community, and what you have to have an awesome product. You have to have community behind it. You have to have like somebody actually using it that's super impressive, so it like validates its realness. You need to have like tutorial writers on board, you know, and, yeah. like and evangelists that are like kind of doing the right stuff. It's tough, you know. I'm sure yeah. they're. I'm sure they're. This. That's what. Like, you know, if there's a company behind this hacks thing, I'm sure that's what their wonder, daily conversations are like. I wonder, yeah, I know. Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say. I wonder if you could make a checklist of all the things you need. Like, you need a tweet from Paul Irish. You need. <laughs> <laughs> well, think of it. You know, you like if like you're that. Ruby, you needed Rails. You know, in in right. some sense, if you're jQuery, you, not the people. I'm sure will disagree, but you need a jQuery. If you're there's 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 lots of examples like this that that it, it takes that one project to push it over the edge. Of. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It, you need like that kind of aha moment too, where because I I tweaked with hakes or hacks, however you say it. I don't know, two years ago or a year and a half ago, just playing around, and I didn't have that aha moment. You know, I was like, I played with it for thirty, forty minutes. I'm like, yeah, whatever. It's it's kind of cool, and I never went back to it. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, you just need that that moment where you know i had that moment with node when i sat down i'm like oh my goodness this is really cool um i had it with titanium you know uh, when i built my first app on it and saw a table view that was like scrolling natively and you know node would be socket io would be the project for node that like is like wow yeah yeah you're, yeah exactly socket io is is amazing <laughs> yeah, yeah, it takes it takes one of those which that doesn't seem like this has yet or if it does i'm not aware of it Huh. Uh, yeah, you need a success story. You need like a, a darling to make yeah. it. I'm going to write a blog post. I'm halfway there. <laughs> All right. uh, cool. Yeah, like it's funny that it oh. just being like the smartest thing on the block doesn't count, you know? Right. 
right? No, you need like clout or like that, like that, whatever street cred. Is that what we're calling it now? You need street cred, a dragon tattoo on your face. <laughs> this next question has been in our question thing forever. And it just has never come up because we've never had a guest on this that can possibly talk about it. So it was Bill wrote in and he asked, what are the pros and cons of using Drupal versus Joomla these days? Based on stuff like security, popularity, HTML5 and CSS3 support, upgrading, community expandability. And I was like, oh, you know, <laughs> I don't know why just those two are being compared, but that's, but that's fine. Are you still, like, what's, what's your connection to Joomla these days? Yeah, I haven't been super involved um, since I started working at Accelerator. Um, I still am part of, like, one of the Joomla uh Skype groups and we talk about a bunch of stuff and things like that, but I haven't been super involved. Um, But it's around and it's being actively developed and stuff. Or oh yeah, 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 very actively developed. And um, they're you know they're in the recent uh, Joomla three they've rearchitected a lot of things where they've separated the kind of core code away from the CMS. So CMS is kind of like the Joomla CMS is an app built on top of the Joomla framework now. So they're you know they're they're kind of um, building it that way now, which is cool. That's good. Yeah. Um, and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So it's good. I, I know Drupal's supposed to be coming out with a new version pretty soon or something, but I, I'm not super up to date with them to know. Um, yeah. these conversations are always so hard to have, isn't it? Like let's compare yeah. the two. And I feel like it's, it's a little bit similar with hosting companies too. And that, and that if you, if you generically ask the question, which one is better people, you'll just get a bunch of answers of what people use. Yeah, you yeah. won't get you won't get an answer based on like a true deep dive into the because nobody very few people have in depth experience with all three or two or whatever you're comparing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's very true. And then I mean, according to the list that you just read, how does it compare with security and CSS and all that stuff? They're all, I mean they're all the same. You can do all that stuff in either one of those. It, it kind of boils down to do you like the community? Because the, the Drupal community is totally different than the Joomla community. Do you, you know, it's, that's a big one. Um, sure. Actually, that's probably the biggest one for me why I didn't use Drupal is because I like the Joomla community. And the Drupal community just kind of turned me off. So um, that, that was really the biggest reason why I ended up, well, I mean, I started using Joomla when it was Mongo, or yeah, um, Mambo. So. <laughs> wow, wow. It's true. I went to a conference once where I was, where there was, there, it was, it was all about CMSs, and they and people were very divided. And not, you know, I'm not sure. You know, maybe outside of that, they're all just normal people. But at this conference, it was very, it was very clicky, and yeah, the the Drupal, the Drupal people kind of stuck to themselves in a way. And I was like, oh, whatever, dudes. Yeah, and Drupal that, people are the worst. <laughs> I don't even I just, care. You know, like I didn't click. I knew I didn't click with them as well. And I know tons of people from WordPress, and I love all of them. Everybody I've ever met who works for Automatic or WordPress, I'm like, oh, we'll totally get along. I like you. Yeah. So that says something, and I feel like that works for lots of different things. Like people that like get really into mountain biking or whatever. It might be the biking. They probably enjoy the biking, but they just like the culture of it. They like yeah. the attitude. They like the magazines. They like the the what people are generally like that work at bike shops you know there's like a culture behind it and that matters too exactly yeah which is why i'm a male model (laughs) (laughs) i love the industry i just love it (laughs) Uh, 
No, I, I, that, I think community is the, that's why I've probably chosen every single one of the languages I like. Like I really like the cake PHP community. So I dove into there and I, you know, I idolize those guys. They're, they're like still to this day, I've met them in person, like later on years later and they're super awesome. Like Snook was back in that community for a while. Um, uh, yeah, that's right. Then like I came, moved to Austin and Austin has a really good rails community. So I really took on Ruby on rails and then you know, I've hang out with a lot of JavaScripters and all those guys that do node. And so now I'm into node. So it's all about yeah. who you hang out with uh, weirdly. So. That would be, that would be an interesting little research uh, study on, on some of this stuff. Do we actually make, make our decisions based on technology or based on the community? <laughs> God. Well, well cause we'll go. always say it's based on the tech, but then like, does that turn out to be actually true? You know? Right, right. Well, back to hacks, right? Like, I don't know anyone who uses hacks. Right, so, exactly. Like, it could be really, really awesome, but I just don't know anyone. Huh. Guys, I think we cracked it. <laughs> Let's do one more. On this, Anton Nicholson asks... How? how do you, oh, yeah, go ahead. How do you guys work with Git? I'm interested in hearing your thoughts and stuff on naming branches, incorporating GitHub issues, and so on. So a super generic question about Git. I'm kind of interested how Rick uses it, if you if you use it at all, or if you use it mm-hmm. with your yeah. Accelerator products or with clients or what. Yeah, we use it for everything in Accelerator. And then also personally, I use it. I love Git. Um, so I, I've got some personal projects and some personal apps that, that I've built, and um, I use GitHub issues for that. Um, in Accelerator, we use teamwork um, for the professional services side to manage projects. Mm-hmm. And so we actually, because we have tasks in there and not in GitHub, I created a little script where you, when you create um, or when you, um, when you commit, you can, you can enter in the ID number of the task in teamwork and it'll associate it at a comment. What is teamwork? Teamwork's like Basecamp. It's, it's, it's a project management thing. That's part, that's GitHub's. They own it and no, 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 no. It's just what we use at at uh, Accelerator, and so we so we don't use GitHub issues. Um, But but it drove me nuts that you couldn't associate commits with you know a task and teamwork. So I created a little script that does it because it's nice. It's nice in GitHub, right? You can you can say okay, here's this commit and it addresses this issue and automatically. Like it'll put a comment in the issue. Hey, here's the commit that fixes this and all that. It's kind of cool, you know? Yeah. yeah. So that's the advanced stuff that Anton is asking about here, I think. And that it's like, yeah, I mean, uh, we all, you could use GitHub issues to manage your shopping list if you wanted to, but like that doesn't use all the features of it that are neat, you know, like associating pull requests with issues and commits. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know it all. I learn a little bit more all the time. Uh, you know, CodePen is also all on, on, on GitHub and we, 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 you know, masters generally sacred ish, you know, <laughs> and then every, every little feature we work on, you, you create a feature branch. And then as you're working on that feature branch, you just, you're constantly pulling over from master. It's almost like a morning ritual or multi-time day rituals to pull over from master to make sure that that branch isn't like getting stale or when mm-hmm. you're done with that feature, it's not like this mega disastrous merge, you know? Right. right. Uh, and then, you know, when that feature is ready to go, you just merge that over to master and, and push it, you know? Uh, 
that's pretty basic. So I don't know if Anton, if that's too basic for you or, or what you mean. I'll, people work in different ways. I'm working on, on an open source project on GitHub right now in which that you're not a, like, although I've broken this rule a few times, you're generally nobody's supposed to ever commit right to master. You Everybody has their own branch and every single thing that you ever makes it to that canonical repo is a pull request. Mm-hmm. So, right. that, you, know, you know, it's like super clean, you know, like every single change is, can be talked about or whatever, or somebody has to review it and then the pull request thing happens. That's a, that will be a totally different workflow. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm personally a fan of the master commando <laughs> workflow. It's going to be my new book on a book apart. Yeah. Yep. Everything sponsored by Coda. Yep. <laughs> sponsored by. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, yeah, I, I think the Git flow, there's a lot of posts on Git flow, which is like that branching. There was a post going around just this week or last week or something that had like GitHub patterns. You see that it was kind of like, I'm doing this and I need to do this. So I, and then the like four or five Git steps that are associated with that, you know, like you're working on a feature branch, but you see something that needs to get fixed right away on master. So you, you know, what do you do exactly? Do you like, do you like get stash and then scoot over to the master branch, make that change, then scoot back to your branch, pull the change over and unstash and, you know, like, ugh. Get do you the, do you guys are you strict on your naming like and it looks like Gitflow has very like or I'm looking at a couple posts and they kind of they like say like feature slash this is my feature or hotfix slash this is kind of like you're tagging it based on um some sort of mm. prefix um do you guys do you guys are you strict on how you name things oh. no yeah, not not on my side. I mean, I think engineering has some specific things in Accelerator where they do stuff, but uh, we don't. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. There are like whole GitFlow like extensions. Like I don't even know what GitFlow is. Is that embarrassing? Well, it's just that everything like it starts. It's that culture, right? It starts there, but then there's like actual like you do the pull request of your branch that is a feature sort of thing. So. Mm. But that's does that flow generically? There's literally a project called GitFlow. Yeah, yeah. There, there's like posts. Um, let me see. Um, there's yeah. There is the project GitFlow, and I don't know. Maybe chat room knows what we're talking about, but um, I don't know if you guys they mean the project specifically. But there, there's. Let me figure it out. Get um, you guys talk. I'm gonna. Google it. <laughs> I actually had to go look it up because I, I wasn't sure what it was either. Yeah. So, so like, yeah. there's like a GitHub flow, and this is what GitHub just pushed to their whole thing. Like, you can put the whole GitHub flow in. Oh, that's I. Yeah, I saw that too. And and honestly, I love everything GitHub's does, but I kind of smirked at that one. I'm like, who, that means you're just like it's like Git Commando though. Because if you do, if you do, if your whole pattern is there, like, wh- where are you previewing these changes? If you're using the Ace editor right in GitHub, where's your local host that's allowing you to run that change to make sure that it works and pass yeah. tests and stuff? Yeah, totally. Like, I get you can go commando on GitHub now. Cool, that's great for quick fixes or something. But like, surely your entire workflow for your whole company doesn't do it that way, right? I mean, especially if you've got like build scripts and 
Jenkins running in the background that's doing automated stuff. It seems like that would be it kind of breaks that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it looks like the uh, chat room is like doing the like uh, Git flow feature branch name pattern finish branch name start something finish like just if you basically that repo so look into that sorry I'm bouncing around here Ew. but no I think I'm I'm totally non sequitur today I totally apologize but I think that this this is a very I think I don't know I I think GitHub uses the Git flow for everything it's like if you need a new computer right you just hit you like file an issue saying uh, or a pull request that says I need a new computer or whatever, <laughs> and then they like. Then Will that some, work if I try it? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you should try it. But then, like when the when it's fulfilled, it's like done. Like they just close out that issue. So I think it probably works in their kind of setup a lot better to do that all online. Or and if you think about copywriters and stuff like that. But at the same time, we had a collision on the accessibility project this week a malformed post like just some weird markdown incompatibility caused the site to like not um not render so uh or not compile correctly so anyway be careful out there just doing stuff in browser like you said chris yeah dude because you gotta test locally local host (laughs) all right are we done that was yeah, good. That was I'm, a good show. I'm we like, I said an hour, and we broke breaking promises. Darn it! I apologize. Okay, so uh, Rick, how can people uh, follow you? Get in touch with you? Give you money? How does that work? Thank you so much for coming on the show. <laughs> wow, give me money. Let's start with that first. Yeah, um, no, <laughs> no, uh, you can follow me at r blaylock r, and it's b l a l o c k. Um, that's at twitter. dot com. You can follow me there. Um, I'm pretty active making fun of Chris and stuff on there. So, Hey, there you go. Hey, Hey, all right. Well, awesome. Thanks so much for uh, coming on. I really appreciate that. And uh, everyone be sure to raise up in iTunes. uh, Follow us on Twitter at shop talk show, buy a t-shirt while you're at it. Cause they'll make you look better (laughs) and you'll get a promotion. (laughs) (laughs) Chris, you got anything else to add? Shoptalkshow.com. 